they were living in times of persecution. Need I remind you that every disciple was martyred except for John, the revelator, who <clears throat> wrote the book of Revelation, and uh, he was to be martyred by being cast into a pot of uh, boiling oil, and they threw him in there, and miraculously he escaped and lived through that and escaped to the island of Patmos where he received the book of Revelation. So the Bible has a lot to say about that. And what the Bible does not say is fold in your sails. It does not say anchor in the harbor till the storm passes by. When a sailboat is facing winds that come upon it, it has a couple of choices. And normally what they do is they, it's a, a nautical term they use called tacking, and it's when they swing everything around and they sail to catch the direction of the wind. And so therefore, God has commissioned the New Testament church not to anchor in the harbor, but to set our sails to catch the winds, though they may be gentle or they may be fierce, and to head straight into the storm. That we don't retreat from the storm, but that we head to the storm. Because we have the answer for what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. And so as we look at this, the Bible has a lot to say about it. We're living in a day and time where when something goes wrong, society is automatically the blame. Society did it wrong. Society did this wrong. There's no more individual responsibility in the world that we live in. So what is the Bible saying to us and our family in these days? Well, if you have your Bible in the book of Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read through this and going to make some comments as we go along the way. It says, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where God is sitting at the right hand, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, as we look at this, there's a couple of things that I want you to underscore. There again, it paints the picture of us, of Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father. But there's an interesting thing here. Paul is writing to the church, the church of Coloss. Matter of fact, if you flip back over to chapter 1, he says to the saints and the faithful brethren who are in Christ at Coloss. So he's writing to the church. But look at what he says here in this first statement. If you were raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. He starts it off with a question. If you were, a statement, if you were raised with Christ, which basically means, are you raised with Christ? Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, then set your mind on things above, that we shouldn't live like the world, but that we should be separated from the world. So if he says, if you were raised with Christ, he's drawing a distinction to say, just because you're at the church of Coloss doesn't mean you've been resurrected with Christ. Going to church does not make you a believer. It does not make you a child of God. Going to church does not give you access to heaven. Giving your heart to Jesus Christ and lordship is what gives you access to Jesus Christ. Amen. That's not a popular message today. We want to get to heaven any other way. We want to check boxes. We want to do good works. We want to do all these things. We want to have all the spiritual gifts. You know, I'll tell you this. It's a lot easier to just have the gift of speaking in tongues than it is to live lordship every day. It's a lot harder. 
It's a lot harder to walk in Christ every day, to seek your mind on things above every day. Why did we have a family discussion last week? Because I'm telling you right now that in these perilous times we're living in, that if we're not careful, the world will pull our attention from above to below. And if you put your eyes on anything below and not on things above, I'm telling you, you're headed straight down. There will be no victory for you. It's a crash course. We must tack our sail and head straight into the storm, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who set the example for us on how then shall we live. Now, as we look at this today, it's an interesting dynamic. He says, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are above. Now, the only way you can seek things that are above is to set your mind on them. I'm afraid today that our church has got our mind set on a lot of things, but it's not on glorifying Jesus Christ. I believe today that if the New Testament church would rise up and say, God, the greatest thing that we have to do today is to glorify you, glorify you, glorify you. God did not call us to build big churches. Matter of fact, it says that he would build the church. We're supposed to show up and to be counted for. We're supposed to show up and live godly and, and peaceful and righteous and walking in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh seek those things which are above set your mind on them the bible says it this way it says that we should seek the things which are above seek the things which are above for you died and your life is hidden with christ in god when christ who is our life appears would you underline that phrase in your bible who is our life i've just been hung up on that one phrase who is our life? Who is our life? Who is our life? Who is our life? Preachers make ministry their life. Preachers make preaching their life. People make their jobs their life. People make their families their life. People make their spouses their life. People make their hobbies their life. But there's very few people that are making Christ their life. What is the mission e missing equation in the United States of America? Prosperity has become our life. Seeking those things which are below has become our life. We work harder so we don't have time to honor God in everything that we do. Therefore, we're surrounded by things of, of the world. And when we don't get the things of the world by the way we work for it, by the things we do, now we live in a society that says, if you got it, then I deserve it even though I didn't do what it took to get it, so I'm just going to take yours. And so in that dynamic, what we must begin to do is to seek those things that are above. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and I cannot say that phrase enough, because what he is saying here very clearly is that he wants us to live like we're believing in him. Live like we're walking with him. Look up. Set your mind on things above. If you were raised with Christ, then live like it. The greatest example of this statement was found in a statement of Alexander the Great, who was known as the greatest general of all times. In fact, he never lost a battle. And one day, Alexander the Great, who he took pride in his military and their precision and how, how synchronized they were and how everything was in perfect place in his military. It was his greatest reward, the precision, the way they looked, the way they moved, the way they talked, the way they fought, the way they conducted themselves was his greatest joy. One day, while walking out on the front line, according to the historical accounts, he saw this young soldier who had been brought to him, who had a dereliction of duty. He had fallen asleep, and he was found guilty of sleeping and deserting his post. 
And Alexander the Great looked at that young man and he said, what is your name? He said, my name is Alexander. He said, excuse me, what is your name? He said, my name is Alexandria. What? What did you say your name was? Alexander. He said, young man, you either need to change your conduct or change your name. I believe the day that the church of America needs to either change its conduct or change its name. Amen. I don't expect you to shout me down on that, but it's the truth. We either believe the word of God or we don't. We either throw ourselves at the mercy of the cross or we don't. We either take it from beginning to end or we don't. I'm telling you, he's saying, seek those things which are above. Our job in life is not to humanize the Scripture and bring the Scripture down to man's standard, but to bring man up to God's standard. You out there? What is he saying to us? What is the Bible saying in this context? If you're a believer, live like it. If you're a believer, set your mind on things above. If you're a believer, look unto Jesus. Set your mind on the things that he is saying. What is the Bible saying to us? This is the phrase that we've been asking every week, these three questions. What is the Bible saying? What is the Bible saying to me? And then what does the Bible want me to do about it in my life right now? In this passage of Scripture, what the Bible is saying to us is found very clearly in verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth fornication uncleanliness passion evil desires covetousness which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of god is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked and then when you lived in them don't forget where you come from is what he's saying and then we move further and it says but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of God who created him. This is what God is saying to our family. Verse 11, underlined it. Where there is neither distinction between Greek and Jew, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the barbarian and the scented, the slave and the free, but Christ who is all in all. What is the Bible saying to me? The Bible is saying that there is no differentiating. When Jesus looks from heaven, he, does, he sees a Jew and a Greek as the same. He sees them as the same place. Think about that. The Jew took pride in in, in their historical heritage. They took place in, in the theology of the Old Testament. The Greek took place in the knowledge that was given unto them. And he looks, geez, God looks from heaven and he says, you're one and the same. He looks at the free and he says, you're the same. He looks at the slave and says, you're the same. He looks at the, the, the barbarian and he says, you are the same. In a world that seeks to divide us. Why do we exist to be a church that breaks through racial barriers? Why are we a church that seeks to break through generational barriers? Why are we a church that seeks to break through cultural barriers? Because man has created these pockets of invisible barriers that the gospel has the ability to penetrate. Therefore, we must rise up as a church of a living God and say God did not call us to live a segregated life, not just racially, but culturally and generationally so that we might come together for 
the glory of God that we might impact a city for his glory. Today, when we think about this, what is the Bible saying to us? There is no difference. What is the Bible saying to us that we put to death? I love what the King James says right here. It has a big word picture. It says, mortify the members of your body. Put to death your envy. Put together your strife. Put to death Put to death your malice. Put to death all of these things. That word mortify is a big word picture because it's where we get our word mortician from. Now, if you know anything about a mortician, they gather up a person who's dead, they lay them on a table, and they suck everything else out of their body. I know that's an ugly picture, but just bear with me for a moment. All of the life-giving fluids, they take it out of the body and prepare it for burial. Here's what Jesus is saying. Put to death and suck everything out of you that is giving you life from below, that you may gain the life from above through Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, who gave us a blood transfusion at the cross of Calvary and took our sinfulness and put his holiness in us that we might be called children of a most high God. Are you with me today, church? Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying to us. Here's what it's saying. Lay all that stuff aside that causes division. Lay all that stuff aside that causes holiness, self-made holiness, self-made righteousness. That we're patting ourselves on our back, talking about how good we are, what we do. Put all of that stuff behind us that we may move forward for the glory of God. When you think about this, the illustration is very clear. There's not a person in here who, when you got through working in your yard yesterday, and you were covered from dust from head to toe, and it was actually <clears throat> like a cake on you because you were sweating so much in the Louisiana sunshine that you were covered in now not just dust, but now it's mud. You with me? You've been there. Nobody would go inside and take those dusty clothes after you had went inside and took a cold shower, probably in the middle of July in Louisiana. Not much need for a hot one. You're trying to cool off, take a cold shower in the middle of July, get out of that shower feeling clean and refreshed and so good you were singing in the shower and then go take those clothes that are so dusty when you pick them up and shake them. It's like a, it's like a cloud floating around and put them right back on I think I'll sleep in these tonight already got them warmed up for the day do you realize that's what we do when we're a believer and he's clothed us in the garment of righteousness and we go back and we pick up unforgiveness and we pick up divisions and stripes when we run back to our natural habitat that you grew up in, when you run back and retreat to your default setting, your default setting, you ever reset your iPhone it says you're going to lose everything because it's going to be restored back to the factory settings? When we walk through times of trouble and tribulation, we normally have the propensity to restore to the factory settings. And you have to be intentional that you mortify the members of your body, that you mortify your strife, you mortify your anger, you mortify your prejudice, whether it's cultural prejudice, whether it's economical prejudice, whether it's, whether it's prejudice of, of affluence, whether it's prejudice of skin, that you mortify that so that you can walk in the spirit and 
Glorify God in everything you do. That's what the Bible's saying to us. The last thing he's saying here is found in verse 12. Therefore, as the children of God, the elect, holy and beloved, put on tender mercy. So put off this stuff. Put on tender mercies. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do the same. But above all these things, put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your hearts. And whatever you do in word and deed, do it all. Do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. What does the Bible want you to do about it? He wants you to live in love. That's what it says. Live in love. Hey, the only way you're going to bear somebody's burdens is to love them. You out there? The only way you're going to forgive them is to love them. The only way you're going to speak kindly to them is to love them. To have compassion on them. To not see them for who they are, but to see them for who God sees them as. When we think about this, as somebody told me the other day, he said, Pastor Brad, I just don't go to your church anymore because every time I go, I, I cry when I get there. And I said, well, <clears throat> they go to a church where they never cry. I said, here's why you cry when you come. Because you see you for who you are, him for who he is, and the two don't match, and you're overwhelmed and heartbroken. You don't have to cry yourself away from here. Just get to where he wants you to be, and then it can be tears of joy and not tears of brokenness. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Live in love. Don't complain against one another because Christ loved you and he forgave you. When you think you can't forgive somebody, think about how big of a knucklehead you were. Think about what all he forgave you from. Before you think you can't forgive the homosexual, think about the time that you may have committed fornication. Because in God's eyes, they're all the same. When we begin to judge people by the distinction of their class, their culture, their ethnicity, Think about what Jesus said. There is no distinction. There is no distinction. There is no distinction. All week, that's the scripture that's been on my heart, where God says there is no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. There is no distinction between the Samaritan and the Jew. There is no distinction between the bond and the, and the free. There is no distinction. There is no distinction. There is no distinction. So why in the world is there so much distinction? Forget the world in the church. You ever listen to somebody talk about their church? Well, you can only get to heaven if you go to mine. That's basically what they're saying. God help us. I'll move on. Live in love. Verse 15 says he wants us to live in peace. Look at what it says right here in verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And when you letting the peace of God rule in you, please be thankful. I didn't make that up. It says right there, and be thankful. And be thankful. Look at what it says right here, my brothers and sisters. Live in peace of God. 
You know why we're walking through what we're walking through? Because every man is doing what's right in his own eyes. Every man is his own leader. If you don't believe me, just pull out your phone right now and look at Facebook. Everybody's a leader. Everybody's leading an agenda. But the agenda is one of the flesh and not one of the spirit. Church is a family. Today is a church. We have to be careful that we're walking in the spirit. We live in peace. The reason people don't have the peace of God is because we don't have peace with God. I'm going to say that one again. The reason people don't know the peace of God is because they don't have peace with God. And you can't know the peace of God if you don't have peace with God. And when your life is contrary to what God's saying, you cannot have peace with God. Today, God's greatest desire is for you to have peace with him. You to have peace with him. He wants us to live in love, live in peace, live in worship. I'm not making this stuff up. Look at what it says right here in verse 16. Oh, by the way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Live in worship. Live in worship. Live in worship when you're by yourself. Live in worship when you're with somebody else. Live in worship. He wants us to worship together with grace. Look at it. I'm not making this up. Singing with grace in your hearts. Now, why did he put that there? Probably because he knew that in time to come, there'd be a bunch of religious groups that are so full of themselves, they're unwilling to occupy a same building with somebody who has a different denomination. Worshiping the same God, but has a different denomination. Much less occupying it with lost people. Grace, grace, God's grace. As we look at this today, what God is saying in a unique way is overwhelming because it's, it's, it's unique to us. And most of all, he wants us to live in honor. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Can you glory God? Can, you, can God glory in your words? Can he glory in your default setting? Can he glory in your frustration? Can he glory? Can he glory? Can he glory with your choices? Can he glory with your decisions? Can he find glory in it? Can he find glory in it? And whatever you do in word of it, what does God want us to do? What is he saying to us? What is the Bible saying in this context? In this context, the Bible is saying, don't seek the things below, seek the things above. What is he saying to me? Here's how you do it. Mortify the members of your body. Put them to death. Put aside the things of the flesh. Put on the things of the spirit. And here's what he wants me to do about it. He wants me to live in his love. Live in his peace. Live with his worship so that I can live for his glory. That's what he wants. I wonder what would happen in our city if all the churches lived in peace with one another. We've talked this week about how 
what a great opportunity this is for our camp that we're having this week. Camp Peo, three days in the inner city in the southern part of the city. How it's pretty cool because we were able to get three youth pastors to come together and work together. My, it's been great to see it. It's been great to see it. But you know what's interesting? What would happen in this city is if we laid aside our agendas as the church of a living God and say we're going to bear one another's burdens. We're going to bear one another's burdens. We're going to bear one another's burdens. Instead, most churches, when something bad happens to one church, the other church is secretly like, yeah, let us get ahead now. That's not what God called us. He called us to leave a mark on a city in our word and in our deed. And we do that by living and walking in his love, by living and walking in his peace, by living and walking in worship and glorifying him in everything we do. Father God, in Jesus' name, may you speak to our hearts. God, may you have your way in our life. Lord, may you move in a unique way. God, may you do what's unique in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.